All right, so my name is Ben McGuigan. A lot of you know me, some of you don't. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Central Church. I'm not one of the, the full-time who are employed by the church. I have a job um, other than that, sometimes a few other jobs. And uh, anyway, we'll, we're going to talk this morning. We're going to continue on with our series on money. So if you're a guest this morning, and this is just kind of a one-off, um, hopefully still you, you can still glean some principles from God's Word as we, uh, as we talk about some very practical things relating to, to work and to stewardship and managing money and that sort of thing. Um, but yes, we certainly want to welcome you. And if you're a regular here, um, I'm going to share some things that you already know, um, some things you've heard before, maybe some things you haven't heard before, who knows. Um, but hopefully we can learn together. So as, as, as I've mentioned, we've been going through a series on, on money, specifically about being generous. So Brent has preached a couple uh, on God being a generous God and four ways to be foolish with your money. Um, Ollie spoke last week about trusting in God and really putting Him at the forefront of our finances. So this morning we're really going to be building on the foundation that's, that's been laid in those pre- previous sermons. So um, what I want to look at this morning is really, it, it, we can divide it into three categories. So we're going to look at mastering money, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. We're going to look at making money, and we're going to look at managing money. All right, so mastering money, making money, managing money. So hopefully those will be easy for you to remember. So just before we get going, I just want to give a few disclaimers. So I know that here this morning and those listening online and all that, I know that we come from a wide range of backgrounds. We come from a wide range of present situations as it relates to work and money. All right, we have, uh, we're, we're, there's a very wide spectrum here, um, but the truths that we'll be talking about this morning apply to us all, okay? The other thing I want to say is that I'm going to aim to be more practical than theological this morning. Um, our theology should affect our practice, okay? So I'm going to try to be practical on how, how we manage money and all that, but I need to say that on, in a sermon, when you have 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, you can't really get into all the ins and outs, okay? But hopefully I'll hit some points that maybe we can go deep on through other venues, through other avenues, Okay? The other thing I want to say is that I'm 32 years old, and I don't claim to have it all together, okay? A lot of you have a lot more wisdom relating to finance and work than I do, and I acknowledge that, okay? Some of you are old enough to be my parents, some of you old enough to be my grandparents, okay? So don't hear me as some young guy who thinks he's got it all figured out, who's coming across with pride in his heart. That's not my heart at all. But I hope that through uh, this morning, I know I've been challenged as I've been preparing, and I hope that we can be challenged together, and ultimately that we will uh, just be able to be better stewards of the resources that God has given us. <clears throat> so with that in mind, um, we're going to open up with a scripture. So if you have your Bibles, get them, okay? If you don't, that's okay. I'm going to read out. But uh, the words are not going to be on the screen this morning. We're going old school, okay? It worked for thousands of years, and I hope it'll work this morning. 
Okay, Matthew chapter 6. This is actually the passage that uh, Ollie uh, launched out of last week, and this will just be kind of a launching pad for us. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19 down to 24. Jesus said, as part of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Then I'm going to skip a little bit just for the sake of time down to 31. Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's just pray. Father, we ask for Your help this morning. Um, Lord, we pray, God, that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. God, that You would uh, just illuminate things to our hearts. God, that You would just meet us where we're at this morning, Lord. We just trust in You. Amen. Okay. So the first thing, and again, this is building on kind of what, we've, what Ollie uh, talked about last week, but Matthew 6, 24, I want to talk about mastering money. And what I mean by that, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Either you'll love one, despise the other, you'll be devoted to one, and all that. So if we don't master money, money will master us, okay? And this is a very important thing. Jesus spoke so much on money, like we've heard the last few weeks. It's very, very important. If we don't master money, money will master us, okay? So there's, the Bible's full of warnings. So just, just a couple regarding wealth and the deceitfulness of wealth and riches, okay? So if you're taking notes, I'll, I'll just jot these down. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, "...but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation." into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's those who desire to be rich. It doesn't necessarily say the rich. It's those who desire to be rich. In Matthew 13, Jesus in His parable of the sower there's seeds that, lay, that land on the path, on the rocky soil, on the good soil, but then there's the seeds that land in the thorns. And when Jesus was explaining the parable later, He said, the thorns represent, the, and I'm quoting here, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, which choked the Word, proving it unfruitful. Okay, so here we have an example of, of someone whose life has been changed by the Gospel, at least temporarily, but the deceitfulness of riches has come and it's choked that out. All right, so when we see warnings like this, we need to take them seriously. So 
I want you to ask yourself the question, do I desire to be rich? Do you dream about winning the lottery and a life of ease? And does that, do you think about those as, as being the ideal situation where I can retire at age 40 and just relax on a beach the rest of my life? If those are your desires, you're in dangerous waters and you need to take care. You need to watch out as we'll see here in, in a couple of minutes. So if those are the warnings, and again, there's a lot, lots more of them in Scripture. Those are just a couple. There's warnings there. We need to, to take heed. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about four safeguards for safeguarding against being mastered by money. All right? We, the first one is right in that uh, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So to avoid serving money, who do you serve? Who do you love? Who are you devoted to? It's God, okay? So we put God in the number one place, and that's a safeguard against serving money, all right? So it's a, it's a warning, but it's also a promise. If we love God first with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, that's a safeguard against being mastered by money, against serving money. If we're looking for our worth, our security, our comfort in God, we're not going to be looking for it in money, in wealth, in success, and all that, okay? So that's the first thing. Love God, serve God, be devoted to God. And that's an active thing. The second thing, uh, as a safeguard for being uh, serving money, is to have an eternal perspective. And this is really something that should affect our whole lives. And we, even in that last song, we saw the verse, so fix your eyes on the things as yet unseen that will remain for all eternity. Okay, so there's, there's a whole other realm out there that we can't see in fullness now. We're stuck in this physical world. And uh, Randy Alcorn, who, who has written quite a bit on money and possessions and eternity, uh, he's got a lot of great things. He likens our lives here on earth to a dot, all right? So you have a dot here. From that dot, a line extends that goes on forever, okay? So our present lives are a dot. Eternity is the line that goes on forever. What we do in the dot matters, okay? It matters immensely. There are things that you do in this life that you won't be able to do in eternity, okay? You won't be able to feed the hungry. You won't be able to share the gospel. You won't be able to bless the poor in eternity. We just have a small window to do that now, and that affects all of eternity. Uh, Ollie talked last week about not storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead storing them up in heaven. So, there was, uh, I remember uh, 10 years or so ago, this guy that went to my church, it wasn't this church, it was a different church, and uh, he had just bought a new, like a nice SUV, Chevy Trailblazer, black. It was a nice, nice, nice vehicle. He was all excited about it, okay? He was like, oh yeah, this is such a great vehicle and all that. And he's like, come, I want to show you and all that. You know, I just looked at him, I said, two, I said three words, moth and rust. <laughs> and it kind of took the wind out of his sails. 
<laughs> it was kind of a killjoy, yeah, but there's nothing wrong with new things, okay? Let me just say that. There's nothing wrong with new vehicles. But if we're putting all, you know, if we're getting satisfaction from those that we should be getting from God, it's all going to end up in a junk heap. you got people who devote their whole lives to polishing metal that one day will be in a junkyard. It'll, one day it'll just be nothing, all right? So we need to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. And Jesus, talk, you know, he talked a lot about eternal rewards. Sometimes as Christians we think, oh, well, I'm so spiritual, I don't care about the eternal rewards. Well, Jesus cares about eternal rewards, and he cares about us having eternal rewards. If you read the Gospels, if you read Scripture, it's full of do this, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He encourages us to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, or not on earth, in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy. So there's, there's a whole element where we need to keep the eternity in view. I remember, who knows Debbie McDonald? Anybody? Just, it just came to mind right now. She used to, she probably still does, she used to do quite a bit of work up at Green Hill Lake Camp, and she used to have these, uh, she called them eternity glasses. I don't remember how she put them on, but basically, or something like this. Anyway, about looking at things through the lens of eternity, and as such, not just with their finances, but with everything. Just to quote a couple of dead guys that knew a thing or two, John Wesley said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So the things here on this earth, we can't keep them. Okay? But we can, we have a lot of stuff coming that we cannot lose. Okay, the third safeguard is to be content. All right? For me, this is a big one. Um, just yesterday, uh, Luke and I were grabbing some things at the superstore. We go up to the superstore on the north side, and there's this huge sign in the window, like as big as the stage almost, says, Crave More. Is that not the message of the world wrapped up in two words? Crave more. It's all about you need this, you need this to satisfy, you need better food, you need better whatever. It's all about craving and try to satisfy that inner emptiness with things. It doesn't work, folks. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Luke 12, uh, Brent touched on this a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about the rich fool. In Luke 12, Jesus said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Coveting, you know, remember the commandment, thou shalt not covet. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. All right? So there's a, there's a very active role we have. We're commanded to keep our lives free from the love of money, to be on guard. We have a major part to play in this. Okay? It's not a passive, well, it'll just kind of take care of itself. No, there's a, there's a 
there's a guarding that we have to do. So just an example from my own life. I work, uh, I work here in town, and the guy that I work, I've worked with for the last several years is moving to Ottawa to help in our Ottawa office. And he's selling, he was going to sell his speedboat. So he came in my office one day. He said, do you want to buy a boat? And it immediately appealed to my flesh. I'm like, I would love a boat. (laughs) Boats are fun. We had a real old beast of a boat growing up, like 1970s vintage. And we had a lot of fun as a family. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it'd be great. But you know what? Maybe, maybe down the road I'll have a boat. I don't know. But it just appealed to my flesh, and I had to be on guard. Okay, that's not in the cards for me right now. I need to say no to that. And if we, if we get into saying yes to things that appeal to our flesh all the time, we're in dangerous waters, and we can get into a lot of trouble very quickly. All right? So as we, I'm going to talk about budgeting and stuff like that. We might talk about that a little bit more. But being on your guard against serving money, serving wealth, is regularly saying no to things. Okay, the fourth safeguard is regular generous giving. P.J. Smythe says, he's a leader in the New Frontiers, uh, he says, when you give regularly and generously, it's like taking a dagger and shoving it into the belly of the god of mammon. Okay? It's regularly saying, I'm not finding my security in money. I'm not finding my security in possessions. I'm not finding my security in that. I'm finding it in God. And I'm going to give regularly. There's going to be a disciplined. uh, Sometimes I'll be cheerful. Sometimes I won't. But I'm killing that God of mammon. God loves a cheerful giver. He does. God loves an obedient giver as well. Okay? So, So it's not always about what we feel. So anyway, those are our four safeguards. There's others, but those are just uh, those are just four that come to mind in keeping God as our master, not money. There really is two gods, and we really do, do need to do like Joshua said at the end of Joshua. I think it's Joshua 24. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Is it going to be those gods that we used to serve back in the, in the old land, or is it going to be God? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right, so there's a choice that we need to make on a daily basis. Who is my God going to be? God or money? You can't serve both. Okay, it's one or the other. Okay, so in, in light of that, I want to take a few minutes and talk about making money and managing money. So now that we've dealt with well, we haven't fully dealt with it. We've discussed it about God being our master, not money. Making money. So I'll start there. Obviously, work is the main, it's the primary means that we, with which we make money, right? That we get money to buy food, to buy clothes and all that. Um, it takes up a huge chunk of our lives. So the average person who works full time, say from early 20s to mid to late 60s, you're going to spend about 100,000 hours at work, all right? So if you're working 42 hours a week, which wouldn't be uncommon for those here, how many hours are in a week? Anybody know? 168. 
A quarter of 168 is 42. So you're taking 20, about 25% of your life and you're working, which is a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad, but it, we need to think about our work and how do we look at it biblically and what's a biblical worldview. A lot of times we think of work as a necessary evil. Oh, well, it pays the bills, which work can definitely pay the bills, but as Christians, we should have a real high view of work. Okay? I don't, we don't have time to build out a whole theology of work this morning, but as Christians, we should have a high view of work. Not because we get our security there, not because we get our worth there, but because, for a few different reasons, God is a working God. Okay, So we start with Him. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in chapter 2, it says, On the seventh day, He finished all the work that He had done, and He rested from all of His work. And God continues to work today. He's worked all through history. So God is a working God. Um, why did God create Adam and Eve? Well, one of the reasons was to work. He created Adam and Eve. This is before sin had entered into the equation. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. It wasn't he made man and he put him in the garden to sing 24-hour worship songs. Maybe they did while they worked. I don't know. But it, or it wasn't for solely leisure and pleasure and you know god says okay you guys show up at 8 12 and 5 and i'll have your meals already just go enjoy go swim go play it wasn't that it was no they had work to do and sure there it was different than after the curse but he created them for work they were to take eden and basically fill the earth with that cultivated paradise that garden like that so God is a working God. He's created us to be a working people. And sure, that's been stained to some extent by the fall, by the sin. But God, through Christ and what Christ has done on the cross, is redeeming work. And one day in eternity, we're not just going to be sitting around playing games all the time. There's going to be some godly work that God has for us to do in eternity. We're going to help rule and reign with Him. There's going to be things that we can do that that uh, bring glory to Him in eternity. So, just a couple of things here. When I talk about work, I don't want you, if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a student or whatever, if you're retired, I don't want you to think, oh, it doesn't apply to me. Okay? Work can include mowing your lawn. It can include washing the dishes. It can include changing diapers. I'm married to a wonderful woman who we have four kids, and she works a lot, okay? She's not out making money at a job, but she works a lot. So I don't want you to disqualify what I'm saying because you're maybe not working in the marketplace, all right? Okay, just a couple of verses in Colossians that I, I like that really apply to work and its value. So Colossians 3.17, Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Down a couple of verses to verse 22 to 24, he addresses specifically working in the marketplace and, and uh, employment. He says, Bond servants, 
Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in those couple of verses, we see a direct relationship between work and eternal rewards and an eternal inheritance. We see a relationship between work and giving glory to God. Whatever we do, we do it all in the name of, the, of God, giving thanks to Him. So just another thing before we get into some real practical things about work. A lot of times, at least the general worldview is that, well, I've, I've made a name for myself. I've got a good education. I'm qualified for this job. I'm making the money. It's my money. And why are you telling me how to manage it and how to spend it? Well, to that, I would say that we need to remember uh, this in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. It's the same chapter where Jesus talked about man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Later on, it says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. All right, so even our ability to make money comes from Him and His provision of jobs, whether we're employed or whether we're self-employed or whatever, it all comes from Him. So those are just some things that I want us to remember as we get into some of the practical aspects here. So God is a working God. We've been created to work and it's Him who gives us the ability to, to work and to make wealth. All right? So, a few practical things about work. Number one, we should work. Okay? It, it might sound obvious, but sometimes it's not that obvious. We should work. Um, the Bible, I, I can't find any good thing that the Bible has to say about those who are lazy, those who are idle, those who are unwilling to work. I don't, I don't really see anything good in there. On the contrary, and there's lots of verses about laziness, and if you read through Proverbs about the sluggard and all that. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, Paul says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Another, the direct, literal translation is there, to eat their own bread. All right, so I know that in this world, there are people who are disabled. There are people who are physically unable to work for different reasons. There are people who are willing to work, want to work. They just can't find a job, like, the, we, we know the economy is bad. We know that uh, people struggle with different kinds of sicknesses that make them unable to work. But if you're able to work, you should be seeking to work and you should be working. 
Maybe you can't find a job where you get paid. Well, spend your time volunteering and doing something worthwhile. Don't just sit at home playing video games, wasting your life, okay? Remember the dot and the line? Let's not waste our lives just wasting, like just for the purpose of nothing. We should desire to work. Work isn't a bad thing, okay? So I don't want to come across as a heavy hand here, but if you're able, you should be out and you should find a job. And men, this especially applies to you, okay? The burden of providing for your families and taking care of your wife. Maybe you're not married yet. Well, you start now, okay? You should be getting a job. You shouldn't be sitting at home playing video games in your parents' basement. You should be getting out, getting a job, working. That's a godly thing, and there's a future in that, and that's of eternal value, okay? So I don't want... We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have lazy, unwilling-to-work people in the church. Now, you heard all the disclaimers about the reasons why, legitimate reasons why people can't. But let's just, if we're able, we should, okay? And like I said, it might not mean a paycheck. And let me just talk to students, okay? Because I, I was in school a long time. <laughs> What are you laughing at? <laughs> I, a lot, well, you know, if you started at kindergarten and go up, I was in school for quite a while. As a student, you should be working for the glory of God. It doesn't mean that you have five jobs while you're going to school, okay? But whatever you're doing, if you're registered, for example, in university or whatever, in college, go to class. Do your best. Work hard. Strive to get good marks. Learn all you can. Like, do that for the glory of God. And that'll, that, that brings glory to God. And we'll talk about that here in a second. I, actually, right now. Work hard. Okay, so we work. We should work if we're able. We should be working. We shouldn't be uh, striving just to have a life of ease. My grandfather, who was a farmer and carpenter, used to have this saying, there's nothing like working for money. And what he meant by that is there's nothing like getting out there, using your hands, right, Byron? Using your hands, working hard, putting in a good day's work, and getting paid for that. It beats sitting around doing nothing, okay? When we work, we should be working hard. We should be striving to excel in whatever we're doing. We should be giving it 100%, whether it's pushing a mop. It doesn't matter what it is, folks. Give it 100%. Whether you're in school, studying, like I said, give it 100%. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you're working, give it 100%. Whether you're building houses, whether you're designing houses, whether you're picking up garbage at the side of the road. There's no job that's way up here and other jobs that are way down here. In God's eyes, they're all equally important, regardless of the paycheck, regardless of people's perspective of it. We do what we do. God's called us to different things, and we work hard, and we, we give glory to God. Okay, So we, when we show up to work, we shouldn't be showing up a half an hour late 
saying, oh, I was having my personal quiet time with God. You want to bring glory to God? You get to work on time, and you put in a good day's work, and you work hard, and you bring glory to God that way. It might mean you have to set the alarm a half an hour earlier, okay? Okay, I hope I'm not being too hard on you. But So for me, practically, the way this, and again, I'm 32, I don't have it all figured out, but I, I ask God to bless my work every day. Driving to work, God, please bless my work today. The things that I do help me to do it with all my might, like it says in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Help me to work hard. Help me to give it 100%. Give me creativity. Help me to bring glory to you today in the workplace. That should be our prayer. It's not, we don't separate work from the rest of our lives as just a meaningless evil, necessary evil thing. No, God redeems our work, okay? So I'll just say this. Our work is cursed, okay? It has been cursed. Genesis 3, God cursed the ground, and there's thorns, there's thistles, there's sweat, there's pain, and things today don't always go the way we like. We get fired. We get laid off. We lose our jobs. We lose the big contract. We, things go wrong. The project we're working on get, gets canned. There's physical pain involved. There's struggles. There's all that. But we persevere, and through God, we overcome, and we bring glory to Him through it. Um, I'll just say this as well. A lot of times, we can become masters to our job. Sorry, we can become servants to our job, and our, our job becomes higher, higher, higher priority, demanding more and more and more, always wanting you to be on call, putting in hundreds of hours of, of work every month. There need, we need to have some common sense, and we need to have some good boundaries in place where sometimes we say, you know what? This is causing me to sacrifice my family. It's causing me to sacrifice uh, work I can do at church. It's causing me, it's taking up too big of a chunk. And sometimes there's a guy in our church who had a very, very good job, and he, he asked to be demoted, to take, took a pay cut so that he could spend more time doing things that matter. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? It's not being lazy, but it's being wise. That, that that doesn't become too big of a thing, that work doesn't become uh, a god and a, ma- a, a taskmaster. Okay, just a couple other things. We need to rest, okay? God rested. We need to rest as well. There's the principle all through Scripture, right from Genesis, about a Sabbath, about a rest. We need to take time to rest. And... Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I got some other things here, but I got to keep moving. All right, so there's a lot of practical things. And again, hear my heart. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to, to put you down and say, you should be doing this, should be doing that. But look in, the, in Scripture, and I know we're all at different seasons of life. Some of you are retired. I'm not saying go out and get a job. 1 Timothy 6 says those that are rich or those that don't need to work anymore, be rich in good deeds, okay? Spend your lives doing things of eternal value. Okay, we're going to switch gears here. So we've talked about money not being our master. 
We've talked about making money at work. And now I want to talk about managing money. Uh, Matthew, and I want to do that on the backdrop of Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, the food, the drink, the clothes, and all that, will be added to you. But the whole idea about seeking first God's kingdom. So the Bible teaches in several places that we are stewards. Um, and that we are to seek... Well, let me just give you the definition of a steward first, okay? So Randy Alcorn gives the following definition of the word steward. It's not a word that we hear a lot in today's world. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. I'll read it again. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. So there's a lot of different parables of Jesus deal with money, and there's three specific ones that deal with uh, stewardship. Uh, We've got the Luke 16, the parable of the unrighteous steward, Matthew 25, the parable of the ten talents, and Luke, 6, and Luke 19, the parable of the ten minus. So those are good. Luke 16, Matthew 25, Luke 19. It's good to have a read through those. We're not going to read them right now just for the sake of time. But I want us to see some principles, some stewardship principles that we can pull out of those stories. All right, so principle number one regarding stewardship. The master owns everything. The steward does not. All right? So this is a key thing that we need to to get. The master owns everything, and the steward really owns nothing. So there's a lot of different examples in Scripture. Um, I'll I'll just read one for the sake of time. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. All that is in it. And uh, this is something that we're, we're trying to teach our kids, okay? There's seven, five, three. I don't think the three-year-old really gets it, but the seven-year-old and five-year-old are starting to get it. You give them an allowance, you say... Okay, there's a hundred pennies here. Who owns all these hundred pennies? Jesus. <laughs> That's right. And now we're going to take a tenth of those and we're going to put it in a little envelope that says, for Jesus. And this morning, they put in their ten, they put in their dime. It's, it's just getting that right from an early age that the money that we make is not ours it doesn't belong to us so principle number 1 the steward owns or the steward doesn't own it the master does number 2 the steward is to act in the best interest of the master to seek to expand the master's estate all right so it's not we're not seeking our own interests we're not building our own kingdom we're seeking first god's kingdom 
number three, the steward must be ready for the master's return. A lot of the parables, the master, the master goes away and then he comes back and he's like, okay, what did you do with what I left you? What did you do with the money? And there's a giving account. And one day, you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our stewardship. And that includes money, that includes our talents, that includes our time, that includes our abilities, that includes a lot of things. But we're going to give an account. How did we steward? How did we manage the thing that he's entrusted to us? All right, and the fourth principle here that we see over and over, if the steward is faithful with little, the master entrusts him with more. Okay, so the importance of being faithful in the small things. You've been faithful with little, I'll entrust you with more. You've been faithful with earthly riches, earthly wealth, I'm going to entrust you with heavenly wealth. All right, so being God's steward, is, it's a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility, and we need to to take it very seriously. So with that in mind, how can we improve our stewardship? How, what are some ways, and I know some of you are, you're maxing this thing out. You've got the stewardship thing down, and to that I would say, great, and I want to learn from you, and you know what? We can learn a lot from one another. Some of us are, maybe we're not doing so great with the stewardship. So the, my heart here is not that that I condemn you and all that. It's when you stand before God, I want you to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, that's what we want as elders. That's what we want. That's what I want for me. <laughs> that's what I want for you guys, okay? So it's not, a tempor- it's not a temporal thing. We want eternal good for you. Okay, so a few, again, we're going to get practical and I've got to get moving here. So, A few practical principles for being a good steward. Number one, get wisdom. Okay? You can pray for wisdom. God will give it to you. However, He'll also give wisdom through a number of other different means when we ask. It's not always just dropping things out of the sky. We search the Scriptures for wisdom, okay? Something that I did several years ago and continue to do Specifically, the book of Proverbs is packed full of financial wisdom. So, if you look in my Bible, if you're in Blast, you know where the books of the Bible are now, right? All you kids who have, Blast is our kids' church, and they've been learning the books of the Bible. I've gone through, and I've put dollar signs wherever it talks anything about money, work, anything like that. It just helps it pop out. So I, I just, I just wasn't planned. But Proverbs six ten, I got a dollar sign there. It says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Okay, it just makes it stick out to you. Like, so I'd encourage you all read Proverbs and highlight with a dollar sign or whatever sign you want to use. Highlight the money verses the work verses, okay? Another thing, seek godly counsel. This is something that I do all the time because I don't have it all figured out, okay? I have people in my life that I can say, okay, here's my whole budget, okay? Here's my, here's my income, 
Here's where we're spending our money. Can you help us? Can you give us some wisdom on this? What do you think about this? Like, should I be, how should I be doing our RSPs? How should I be saving for my kids' education? How do I pay off my mortgage quicker? Like, stuff like that. You need to seek godly counsel. Um, could be your parents. It could be people in the church. could be financial advisors um, who are Christians, who have a Christian worldview. So I would say seek godly counsel, especially before you take before you make big financial decisions like buying a house or like um, getting into debt or like these bigger financial decisions, don't make them in haste. Don't, the deal will still be there tomorrow. Okay, you don't have to act right away. Get some godly counsel. The other thing I'd say is there's a ton of great resources. There's good books out there. There's a lot of garbage out there. So be careful with what you get. But there's, I'll, I'll recommend two uh, ministries. There's Crown, Crown, like the thing you put on your head, Crown Financial Ministries. Um, they have a ton of good things, and DaveRamsey.com. Okay, those are just two, and I don't, I haven't gone through every single thing they have on their website, so there might be some stuff that maybe isn't good, but I know they have a lot of great tools, like budgeting tools, how to make a budget, how to pay off debt quick, how to, how to manage your money, how to teach your kids about money. Very, very practical things. Um, so Crown Financial, Dave Ramsey, there's some great things on there. So the key is don't lean on your own understanding, okay? Don't just assume that you've got it all figured out. Get some good wisdom. A lot of times the wisdom will be what not to do, and that's just as valuable, okay? Like... Somebody will tell you they made a huge mistake. Don't do that. Well, that's valuable to me because I don't want to make those same mistakes. Okay, another practical thing to do. So we get wisdom. That's the first one. Another thing is to track your spending. Now, this is getting into the nuts and bolts of things. But if we're stewards, if we're managing money and it doesn't actually belong to us and we're one day going to give an account for how we used it, shouldn't we know where it's going? So what I started to do several years ago, um, we have a, I'm an engineer, so I like spreadsheets, okay? Now, I'm not as hardcore as Krista Hicks with spreadsheets, but spreadsheets have their, their benefits. So with us, I make a budget in a spreadsheet every month with Jill, and we say, okay, here's our, here's our revenues, here's our expenses, and then we track what we spend. We spend $55 at Costco, we'll put it in, 55 bucks. And at the end of the month, you can say, okay, how did we, did we meet our budget? And you can say, wow, I didn't know we spent that much on eating out, or I didn't know we spent that much on coffee. So I would encourage you, this is a very practical thing, to track your spending and to see where in the world your money's going. Because sometimes you get to the end of the month and you're like, where did it all go? I don't know. Well, I guess, but we should, you should know where it's going. All right? And I'm guaranteeing you that some things you'll see are very surprising to you and you'll be able to make some changes. Okay. I mentioned it, but make a budget. This is the third practical thing here. Make a budget. 
Some of you have never had a budget, and you need to have a budget, okay? Unless you're in middle school or high school and you're living with your parents and all that, otherwise you should have a budget, especially if you're out working, even if you're in university, you should have a budget. Revenue, here's what's coming in, here's where it's all going, and the expenses or the, where you're spending it should not exceed what's coming in, okay? So it's very simple. It, it's, I say I use a spreadsheet, but it's very simple math, okay? You can put it on a piece of paper. Very simple. This column does not exceed that, that column there. All right, so, and again, there's great tools out there. Um, something, it's, again, it's something when I get out on my own, I started doing a budget, and my parents taught me how to do it, and I am so grateful for, for that. It helps helps you keep things in line so all right keep going Ben we're running out of time um, specifically on the budget side of things uh, all right no I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that but when you look at your budget does it make sense when you look at it with those Eternity glasses, okay? When you look at your budget, does it make sense from a, an eternal perspective? And hopefully it does. If it doesn't, then there has to be some changes. Okay, fourth one, and it, we're, I'm just going to hit these quickly. Get and stay out of debt as fast as you can. So this is a major one. Uh, it's no secret Canadians are carrying more debt today than they ever have in the history of the country. Not including mortgages, Canadians on average, this is including birth to seniors, are carrying about $21,000 of debt. Okay, that's an average. That's as of December 2014. Okay, so that includes things like vehicles, credit card debt, line of credit, you name it. That's the, those, are, those are the numbers, and they're staggering. And because of low interest rates and all that, it's even more appealing to, to, get, into, to get into debt. But the ideal is, is that you eliminate debt as fast as you can. Some of you, and I'm not speaking judgment here, but some of you, are likely in way over your head, okay? And we're not here to point fingers. If you look at our eldership team, most of us have been there at one time or another, okay? And we desire to give help where we can give help, to point you toward people that can maybe help. Um, credit cards are a big one. Credit cards are kind of like a chainsaw, okay? Follow me here. I have a chainsaw. I've cut a lot of trees, a lot of wood. Chainsaws can be a great tool, okay? They can be a very good tool. They can be good for, like credit cards can be good for tracking spending. They can be good for online purchasing. They can be good for a lot of things, but they can be very dangerous if they get out of control. I've had some close calls with a chainsaw. I have. And some of us have had... Uh, 
real close calls with credit cards as well. It's not free money like some people think. Oh, just put it on the card. It'll go away. It won't go away. All right, a few other things. Don't be wasteful. Be honest in your finances, like to the penny, be honest. Why, why not? Just be honest. When you're doing your taxes, claim that money, that other income. Don't just say, oh, well, the government will never know about it. I got cash for it. Why not be honest, okay? Be faithful with the little things. God will entrust you with more. And the big thing here is to keep an eternal perspective. So, um, yeah, Brent, I think our time is gone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to, to Brent, and Brent's going to take it from there. He's going to give us some instruction. So, thank you. Well, thank you, Ben. Our time is gone, but there is a lot of uh, practical information there, and uh, so I just want to close with prayer. Why don't we stand up? And uh, our time's gone, but let's not, uh, you know, if God's been speaking to you through this, uh, we're happy to pray with you. They're going to clean up this room. It's beautiful outside. We can go outside and pray for you, okay? And uh, But I want to say this. We're not just coming from the front, and I think Ben presented it very well. We're not just coming from the front and presenting a lot of stuff without uh, a care and a heart and a love for you guys. And so if maybe you are in a state where things are a bit over your head and you're here this morning and all this information and you're saying, I need help and I need help quick and I've got myself into a bit of a mess, we'd love to help you or point you in a place where we can help you. We do have a lot of knowledgeable people in our church when it comes to finances. And so if that's you and that's where you're at, I mean, we'd love to pray for you. We'd also love uh, to help you in whatever way we can. So whether you talk to us this morning, whether you send us an email, you got to understand that we want uh, what's best for you. And like Ben said, we want to hear the master say to you, well done, uh, good and faithful servant. And so uh, there is hope. And maybe Jody's word uh, from earlier really spoke to you. Maybe things do feel out of line and, uh, and you need God to intervene in whatever that might be. It might be finances. It might be, might be somewhere else. Uh, wherever you're at and things kind of feel out of line, uh, Jody's word is true for you this morning. God can intervene. There is hope. There's hope with finances. There's hope with struggles that you might be in. There's hope with broken relationships. We serve a great and glorious God. And so, Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself so clearly, and you don't just say all this stuff without coming alongside and helping us. And so we pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit to fulfill your word, that we would be the body in action, gathering around one another, supporting one another, and helping each other uh, to be good stewards of the resources and the money that you have given us. We pray for your glory that you would help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.